seated, everyone. Will you please uh, take your Bibles and uh, join me as we read from Mark chapter 7, uh, verses 24 through 37. That's on page 843, uh, if you're using the uh, Bible in the pew. Mark chapter 7. Last time in the uh, Gospel of Mark, uh, we had the uh, Pharisees and scribes uh, coming to Jesus, agitated about his ministry in word uh, and deed, and particularly uh, concerned that he was not uh, doing as they did, uh, and Jesus' disciples were not following uh, their disciples and charging Jesus with really himself being defiled and dirty and causing others to be defiled too. Uh, Jesus responded to the Pharisees and the scribes, telling them that defilement is not about outward things, uh, but is a matter of of the heart. And even though they had all these outward religious ceremonies, their heart was indeed far from from God. And so Jesus reminding us that it is our heart that needs to be transformed. It's our heart out of which comes sin and all evil things. It's our heart that needs to be washed and cleansed uh, so that we would have a true love uh, for for Jesus. And so going from uh, that story uh, where there was opposition, uh, agitation at the ministry of Jesus, Mark 7 uh, closes with two more scenes for us uh, of those who came to Jesus in faith. And so this is the word of the Lord, Mark chapter 7, uh, beginning at verse 24. And from there, that is this discussion with the Pharisees and scribes, he arose and went away uh, to the region of Tyre and Sidon. And he entered a house and did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. But immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down at his feet. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread and throw it to the dogs. But she answered him, Yes, Lord, yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, For this statement you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. She went home, found the child lying in bed, and the demon gone. Then he returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be open. And his ears were open, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the word of the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, we're so thankful that we can end the year in the place of worship, uh, singing your praises, giving you the praise that you are worthy of uh, as our God and Savior. And King, Creator, Redeemer, Sustainer, and that we can end uh, this year also, Lord, together uh, around the Word of God, 
that you have given to us, that is our life, that is our food. And so we pray uh, that you would speak again to us by your spirit this morning, uh, that we would know the truth and that the truth uh, would set us free. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, in his uh, little, uh, little book entitled All Things for Good, the English Puritan Thomas uh, Watson has a little preface uh, in the front of this little book addressed to the Christian reader uh, that he, uh, he wants people to know who are reading this book why he has written it. And this is what he writes. There are two things which I have always looked upon, said Watson, as difficult. The one is to make the wicked sad. Uh, the other is to make the godly Joyful. Dejection in the godly arises from a double spring, either because their inward comforts are darkened or their outward comforts are disturbed. I would prescribe them, says Watson, to, I would prescribe them to take now and then a little of this cordial or medicine. All things work together for good to them that love God. To know that nothing hurts the godly is a matter of comfort, but to be assured that all things which fall out shall cooperate for their good, that their crosses shall be turned into blessings, that showers of affliction water the withering root of their grace and make it flourish more. This may fill their hearts with joy till they run over. Make the wicked sad, the godly joyful. There's things that keep that joy from us. Inward darkening, our comforts seem to be gone within, and external things all around us. Uh, well, said Watson, this, this can help you. Remember that all things work together for good. Uh, this morning we're going to uh, pick up in the story here in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter 7. We've been walking with Jesus for some time and we've certainly seen a lot of sorrow in the lives of people. Uh, and we've also seen a lot, of, a lot of joy as well as they come to meet uh, the Savior. Uh, thus far in the Gospel of Mark, in the story of Jesus, it's mainly, if you've noticed, taking place around Capernaum, uh, around the Sea of Galilee. He's been often in synagogues speaking with the religious leaders of the day, those who knew a lot about, knew a lot about the Bible. Uh, but as we move forward in the Gospel of Mark, Jesus will be spending uh, more time uh, teaching his disciples privately. He'll be found more often away from the crowds, and often we're going to find him among uh, Gentiles, uh, pagans, that is, those who have no knowledge of him, unlike those in the synagogue. And he will also be instructing them about uh, the cross. And so, as we move forward here in this passage of Mark, we see Jesus uh, going to those afar off uh, to bring the good news of the kingdom of God. Uh, with his ministry, we find leaving people astonished and confessing he has done all things well. Can you say that at the end of 2023? He has done all things well. This passage helps us. First of all, we see in a wonderful way that uh, outsiders are welcome uh, inside the kingdom. In both of these scenes, in uh, chapter 7, verses 24 to 37, in both these scenes, we have Jesus traveling in Gentile areas and coming in contact with those outside the covenant people of God. And it's pointed out to us very specifically. Verse 24. And from there he rose, went away to the region of Tyre and Sidon, and he entered a house, did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. Verse 26. Now the woman 
who comes to him was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth. That just means from the province of Syria in the land of Phoenicia. And she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. Then Jesus also goes to the Decapolis. That's a Greek word, just means ten cities uh, in uh, uh, east of the Sea of Galilee, mainly settled by Gentiles. We don't know who this man was, whether he was a Jew or a Gentile, the Bible doesn't say. But certainly with this first scene, uh, the Bible emphasizes who this uh, woman was. Jesus is far now uh, northwest uh, of the Sea of Galilee, and uh, this woman comes to him. Matthew actually says in, uh, in his account of this story, And Jesus went away from there and withdrew to the district of Tyre and Sidon. And behold, uh, a Canaanite woman from that region came out and was crying, Have mercy on me, O Lord, son of David. My daughter is severely oppressed by a demon. And so Canaan, uh, a Canaanite, Gentile, someone who was outside of the, uh, the people of God. And for uh, God's people, of course, when you think about uh, Canaanites, you think about all those folks who gave uh, Joshua uh, such trouble, uh, a Canaanite, uh, a Gentile, a Syrophoenician woman comes to Jesus. Surely uh, this woman, this Gentile, is beyond hope. That's the scene. Uh, she comes from the region of Tyre and Sidon. Hopefully that also rings a bell for you in the days of Solomon. Uh, Tyre was that uh, country that sent down um, timbers to Solomon in exchange for grain. Great craftsmen would come from Tyre uh, to help uh, the Israelites in that time. Uh, Tyre was an island stronghold just off the Mediterranean coast. In fact, in Psalm 87, uh, there's a, a prophecy in the Psalms that a great blessing would come uh, to, among other places, Tyre. And people in Tyre would, would uh, in fact, be able to say, uh, this one was born here. That is, a child of God was born here, even in, even in Tyre. Well, we've heard of these folks from Tyre and Sidon before in the Gospel of Mark. If you flip back to uh, Mark chapter 3, uh, you'll remember these uh, words of a great crowd following Jesus. Mark 3, verse 7, Jesus withdrew his disciples to the sea and a great crowd followed from Galilee and Judea and Jerusalem and Idumea and from beyond the Jordan and from around uh, Tyre and Sidon. When the great crowd heard all that he was doing, uh, they came uh, to him. And so folks from this far off region in the northwest, these Gentiles, uh, had already been coming to Jesus. But here uh, in Mark 7, Jesus uh, is going to them in the far northwest. He's not looking for fame and popularity. He's not looking for the applause of a crowd that would make him into the kind of ruler and king they wanted him to be. And we know that because in both scenes, uh, the emphasis here is on, 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 on the presence of Jesus not being made known to the broader public. Uh, verse 24 says he came to a house. Uh, he did not want anyone to know, yet he could not be hidden. In verse 36, uh, after the miracle, uh, he charges them not to tell anyone. They do anyway. And so this is a time where Jesus is still uh, doing wonderful works, but because of the crowd, because you might remember a, a, a little while ago, we talked about the Gospel of John and how uh, because of all that they had seen in Jesus, they wanted to come and physically, by force, make him king. So they had plans for Jesus, the crowd. Uh, but he wants, uh, he wants to be, in some sense, alone. But yet he, where he goes is to the land of the Gentiles. And he goes to them. He goes into enemy Occupied territory, if you will. And there's a woman in this place. 
to which Jesus goes. Verse 25, immediately a woman whose little daughter had an unclean spirit heard of him and came and fell down uh, at his feet. Uh, Many years ago in that same area of Tyre, the prophet Elijah had raised from the dead the son of the widow of Zarephath. Many years later, here comes Jesus to bring blessing to that same land. Outsiders. It's very important as we see Jesus here entering this area uh, far away from the synagogues uh, into the land of the the Gentiles. In fact, throughout the scripture, often uh, Jesus will make a point of reminding us that uh, often it is many from the the outside who are brought to faith. Um, Outsiders. So, for instance, in the Gospel of Luke, Uh, Jesus is actually uh, in uh, Nazareth and he is uh, speaking and Luke 4.22 says, And all spoke well of him and marveled at the gracious words that were coming from his mouth. And they said, Is not this Joseph's son? So that was in his hometown and when he first preached, uh, everybody uh, everybody loved him. Uh, But then the sermon went on. And uh, Luke 4.24, and he said, that's Jesus, Truly I say to you, no prophet is acceptable in his hometown. But in truth, I tell you, there were many widows in Israel in the days of Elijah when the heavens were shut up in three years and six months and a great famine came over all all the land. And Elijah was sent to none of them, but only to Zarephath in the land of Sidon, to a woman who was a widow. And said Jesus, there were many lepers in Israel in the time of the prophet Elisha. And none of them was cleansed, but only Naaman the Syrian. And when they heard these things, all the synagogue were filled with wrath. They rose up and drove him out of the town and brought him to the brow of the hill on which their town was built so that they could throw him down the cliff. Why did they want to kill him? Because they must have been thinking to themselves, wait a minute here. The blessing uh, of God is for us and not for outsiders. And Jesus says, no, go therefore and make disciples of all the nations. Remember in the last passage... Uh, the uh, distinction between clean and unclean foods uh, is removed. Remember Mark says, by saying this, uh, Jesus declared all foods clean. No longer the separation between uh, uh, clean and unclean foods. And likewise, in this passage, as Jesus goes to the land of the Gentiles, he's saying that the gospel of the kingdom uh, is that the doors of the kingdom are being thrown wide open to outsiders, Gentiles, those known as as sinners. You and I have neighbors outside the kingdom. Uh, We want them to be inside the kingdom. We have members on the roll of this church who have not worshipped with us for weeks, months, some for years. We must seek the lost. We must seek those who are on the outside uh, to bring them inside. We must bring back the strain. And the only way that happens is if we are absolutely convinced ourselves that he who has the Son has life, and he who does not have the Son does not have life. Remember, Jesus would say elsewhere in Matthew that uh, people from the east and west and north and south will sit down with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob in the kingdom, uh, but the sons of the kingdom uh, will be cast out. Because those who grew up uh, with all these blessings rejected the king. Outsiders are welcome inside the kingdom. Now, this should be good news to you uh, because all of us here uh, were at one time outsiders, which is what Ephesians 2 says. Remember, therefore, that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision 
which is made in the flesh by hands, remember that you, you and I, were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who once were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Passage like this should make us rejoice that, wait a minute, we are. So here's Jesus going far off into the land of the Gentiles. A woman comes recognizing her her need. The, The kingdom is for outsiders, that they too might be inside the kingdom. We're brought near through the blood of Christ. Jesus has destroyed that barrier between Jew and Gentile. And so we must not erect any other barriers that Jesus has torn down. There's no separate gospel for the Jew and for the Gentile, just the blood of Christ. There's no separate gospel for rich and poor, uh, for black and white, for male and female. There's one gospel brought near through the blood of Christ and outsiders come inside the kingdom. I'm reminded of the film uh, Hacksaw Ridge. It's a World War II uh, movie. Uh, and that's, it's a wonderful movie in many ways. It's a story of the, the medic Desmond Doss in World War II at the Battle of Okinawa, who single-handedly, uh, in truth, in history, single-handedly uh, evacuated 75 uh, wounded men who were near the enemy line. He was a medic. So he'd go back, and they couldn't come to him. So he would drag them through an active uh, fire field. To safety, 75, he'd go back again, take them back to rescue them uh, and bring them to safety. Outsiders brought in. Outsiders are welcome in the kingdom. And humble faith, humble faith uh, is not disappointing. So we've got two scenes here. Verse 32, uh, this uh, um, and from the Decapolis. And they brought to him, verse 32, a man who was deaf uh, and had a speech impediment, couldn't speak very well. And they begged Jesus to lay his hand on him. This woman, verse 26, now a woman. Now the woman was a Gentile, a Syrophoenician by birth, and she begged him to cast the demon out of her daughter. And he said to her, let the children be fed first, for it's not right to take the children's bread uh, and throw it uh, to the dogs. Uh, Now this is one of those uh, times in Scripture when the words of Jesus... Uh, make us make us scratch our heads a little bit and do a uh, and do a double take. I mean, is Jesus? Hold on here. Is Jesus uh, seeking to discourage this woman uh, from seeking his help? What about that passage in the Bible that says, "And all those who come to me, uh, I will never drive away." Well, by speaking of children uh, and the dogs, it would seem uh, it would seem clear that this is an allusion to the distinction between Jews and Gentiles common in Jesus's day. And Jesus said here to her, let the children uh, be fed uh, first. Over in Matthew, as he tells this story, he will, uh, Jesus responds, I was sent to the lost sheep of Israel. The same kind of idea. Uh, the children uh, are the lost sheep of Israel. I have come for them first. And this is a common biblical teaching. The gospel is first for the Jew uh, and then uh, for the Gentile. Where does the gospel go after the resurrection of Jesus? Well, it starts in Jerusalem. It starts among those who, who put the Lord Jesus uh, to death. The Apostle Paul uh, in Acts 13 uh, speaks of this, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile in this way. 
Acts 13, verse 44. The next Sabbath, almost the whole city gathered to hear the word of the Lord. But when the Jews saw the crowds, they were filled with jealousy and began to contradict what was spoken by Paul, reviling him. And Paul and Barnabas spoke out boldly, saying, It was necessary that the word of God be spoken first to you. And since you thrust it aside and judge yourselves unworthy of eternal life, behold, we're turning to the Gentiles. For so the Lord has commanded us, saying, I have made you a light for the Gentiles, that you may bring salvation to the ends of the earth. When the Gentiles heard this, they began rejoicing and glorifying the word of the Lord. And as many as were appointed to eternal life uh, believed. First for the Jew. That is first simply what Jesus is saying. First for the, the covenant people. With all the blessings uh, that they had. They get to taste the food first. But if it is passed aside, and if they don't have any appetite for that food, um, and, and that bread, says the Bible, will be enjoyed by others. Make no mistake. Now, no, there's no coincidence here, perhaps, that Mark has this story of the children being fed first uh, between the feeding of the 5,000 and, uh, and the feeding of the 4,000. So we're going to be reminded of Jesus as the bread of life that we have to take in and feed on. First, uh, for the children, the food, uh, the food comes. Uh, this is not an insult to this woman, but a recognizing that just as bread is meant for children and not the pets of the home, uh, the word for dogs here is little dogs. It's not the same as Paul's. Uh, Paul at one time in the in the letters will say, "Beware of the dogs, uh, false teachers." It's a different word. It's like a household pet. The gospel comes first. Jesus is saying to his own, those who should receive him, covenant children, covenant parents, those who have all the blessings of the promises and covenants and law and word and worship and Sunday school and Bible study and fellowship, comes to them first. Don't boast in being children of God and refuse to eat the food that Jesus is saying. I come first to children. But by saying uh, children first, first, doesn't say only, first, Jesus is not sending this woman away, but in fact giving hope uh, for the Gentiles to be fed too. And he said to her, let the children be fed first. Now, clearly, this is the way the woman takes it. Verse 28. But she answered him. Uh, just think to yourself, how would you respond uh, if you were compared to a uh, household pet? But she answered him. Yes, Lord. Yet even the dogs under the table eat the children's crumbs. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. Now, this is really pretty amazing. Amazing. This woman does not take offense at Jesus' words. She could have said something like a dog. What? I mean, even a house dog or a pet. I'm no such thing. You know, I have more pride than that being compared to. No. No, that doesn't happen. No, she says, okay, I'm a Gentile. I know that. I'm a sinner. I'm not one of the covenant people. But isn't there even isn't there even some blessing for a dog under the table 
to gather the crumbs and scraps that have fallen. Isn't there something, some mercy, even for such a one as I? Now, what is that? Well, I say, oh, well, today, you know, someone uh, in our world said, well, this, this, obviously this lady had low self-esteem. Poor lady. What she needed was a, a psychology session, and then she could have responded to Jesus properly. She said, don't call me a dog. I'm not a dog. Uh, you know? No. <laughs> well, that's what we say today. Well, the Bible answer is this. No, this woman did not lack self-esteem. Uh, this is an expression of, of humility before God. This is recognition of need. I am like a dog under the table and I need mercy. I need help, even if it's just a little crumbs or scraps. Is there even that for me? Humbled before the Lord. Well, what did the Lord Jesus think of this response? Well, again, Matthew helps us. Then Jesus answered her, oh, woman, same, same story, same, same event. Then Jesus answered her, oh, woman, great is your faith. Great is your faith. Great is your faith. Friends, the faith of this woman contrasts sharply with the determined unbelief of the Pharisees and the scribes. Remember them? They were blind to their need, and they thought that just by cleaning the outside of the dish, washing their hands externally, somehow they made themselves themselves right before God. They didn't need Jesus. They were blinder than you. She, the Bible says, pleaded for help, begged Jesus for help. They thought they were sufficient in themselves, the scribes and Pharisees. She knew, as you know, and as I know, that I am helpless without Jesus. Have you felt that in 2023? Been times in the past year where, where you said to yourself, I Boy, if I didn't know the Lord, if I didn't have Jesus, I don't know how I'd, how I'd get through this. Well, maybe you didn't say it in 2023, you're going to say it in 2022. That's where people of faith, all people of faith, come to. Because great faith, says Jesus, is a humble faith that is the best place. To be. Great faith is a humble faith. Great faith for the new year is a humble faith. Lord, have mercy on me, a sinner. I don't deserve grace, but I know you're merciful. Such faith is not disappointing. And he said to her, for this statement, you may go your way. The demon has left your daughter. And so she's on her, she's on her way home. What's she thinking on the way home? What am I going to find there? Now he said the demon has left, but is it, can it really be true? She went home. And found the child lying in bed and a demon gone. All, all is well. This man who's deaf and can't speak properly is brought to Jesus. Verse 33, taking him aside from the crowd privately, he puts his fingers into his ears. And after spitting, touched his tongue and looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears are opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. He spoke orthodoxly, is the word. He spoke, he spoke uh, rightly. Isn't that wonderful? Did you catch that? Jesus takes him aside privately. And all these motions he goes through. Why? Because the man can't hear. And he can't speak. And so Jesus says, this is what we're going to do. Right? Into the ear. Touch your mouth. And he looks up to heaven. So this man knows this is coming from, from 
from God. And all ends, all ends well. But isn't it interesting, verse 32, when the folks bring this man to Jesus, and they brought to him a man who was deaf, had a speech impediment, and they begged him to lay his hand on him. But did you notice that Jesus doesn't exactly do what they, what they asked? He, in fact, takes him away. <laughs> Privately. Said when these people were to discover that the master has his own way of doing things. In dealing with people, the Lord chooses his own methods. Naaman had to learn this lesson. Remember 2 Kings. Naaman has leprosy and he comes to the prophet and, uh, and the prophet tells him, well, just go wash in the, in the Jordan River seven times. And, and Naaman says, well, wait a minute. This is a filthy river. Can't I go back home? We've got some beautiful rivers back there. I said, no. Here. <laughs> or think about the Apostle Paul. Uh, he's got this thorn in the flesh and he prays to the Lord. Lord, wouldn't it be good if this, fle- if, this, if this thorn were gone? I pray and I pray and I pray. And the Lord says, no. No, it's not best. I've got other, I've got other plans for you. Thomas Watson said this, God is a skillful physician. God observes the different temperaments of men and knows what will work most effectually. Some are of a more sweet disposition and are drawn by mercy. Others are more rugged and naughty pieces. That is K-N-O-T-T-Y, naughty, like a big piece of wood. These God deals with in a more forcible way. Some things, says Watson, are kept in sugar, some in brine. God does not deal alike with all. He has trials for the strong, cordials or medicine for the weak. God is a faithful physician and therefore will turn all to the best. If God does not give you that which you like, he will give you that which you need. A physician does not so much study to please the taste of the patient as to cure his disease. When was the last time you had a doctor say, well, do you like the taste of this medicine? We complain that very sore trials that Watson lie upon us. Let us remember God is our physician. Therefore, he labors rather to heal us than humor us. God's dealings with his children, though they are sharp, yet they are safe. And in order to cure. Come to me, all you who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Humble faith is not disappointed. So outsiders are welcome inside the kingdom. Praise the Lord. Because I'm an outsider. Gentile, brought near through the blood of Christ. Uh, uh, also, uh, humble faith is not disappointed. When we come to Jesus, uh, we know we can trust him. He is merciful. He will deal with us uh, individually according uh, to our need and what is best. And uh, the last thing in this passage, of course, is that our words are often better than our hearts. That's how this passage ends after these two scenes. Verse 37, and they, after this man has been healed, and they were astonished. So this has been in the life of Jesus, his words, his works. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, he has done all things well. He even makes the deaf and the mute uh, to speak. Astonished beyond measure. It's a great, uh, great expression. Uh, The word astonished there means really to be struck uh, out of your senses, like you lose lose possession of yourself, um, and uh, beyond measure uh, is a translation of, of two words uh, in Greek. One word uh, means in superabundance. The other word means above superabundance. So, in other words, their astonishment at this miracle was so great it almost deprived them of their senses, uh, and it was in superabundance. And then some on top of that. You know, so, so super, but and then someone's on. So they were greatly 
astonished. This is a beautiful confession of the glory and beauty and wonder of Jesus. These are indeed precious words. He has done all things well. In fact, uh, the words they speak here are in fulfillment of the prophecy uh, of Isaiah, uh, which comes to us from Isaiah 35, which uh, reads like this. They shall see the glory of the Lord, the majesty of our God, strengthen the weak hands and make firm the feeble knees. Say to those who have an anxious heart, be strong, fear not. Behold, your God will come with vengeance. With the recompense of God, he will come and save you. Then the eyes of the blind shall be opened, the ears of the deaf unstopped. Then shall the lame man leap like a deer and the tongue of the mute sing for joy. Don't miss that. So here in the gospel, as these people respond, he's done all things well. What they're really saying is all that was promised to the prophet Isaiah, when the Lord comes to say it's happening right here in the person of Jesus, so that with the coming of Jesus, this means new creation, that means new people, means the turning back of the effects of sin and the consequences of sin in the person and work of Jesus Christ. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. There's a play on words in the Greek in the Greek, it's uh, he uh, and the uh, the alalus laline. Alalus means those without speaking. Uh, speak, you know. He's done all things well. He, not me. All things, not just some things. Well means excellently, not just so solely. Here, friends, is a profession of the glory of Jesus, his power, his majesty, his beauty. Too bad, though, that uh, they didn't really mean it or believe it. Um, too bad they were not truly disciples. You say, no, well, hold on. Wait, wait a minute. Uh, wait a minute. Uh, how can that how can that be? I mean, how can they say he has done all things well and not be a Christian disciple? I mean, how can someone sing the hymns we sing at Faith OPC and speak the words of the creeds or confessions like we do and talk Reformed theology and Presbyterian polity uh, as we do and should do and not be a disciple? Well, do you remember verse 36? Verse 36, right after this miracle, goes like this. And Jesus charged them... To tell no one. But the more he charged them. <laughs> you're thinking, what's going on? What? But the more he charged them, or commanded them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. In other words, the more Jesus uh, commanded them, the more Jesus charged them, the more Jesus instructed them, right alongside the Bible says, the more they uh, zealously uh, disobeyed. He's done all things well. What? Problem. The mouth said one thing. The life said another. Their words were better than their hearts. Listen to William Hendrickson on this, on this very verse. Jesus charged them. They did the opposite. Listen to Hendrickson. The intensity and frequency of the disobedience, that is, they kept on doing what Jesus said not to, uh, was keeping pace with the intensity and frequency of the charge. The two remained side by side. Jesus commands, they disobeyed. Jesus commands. 
He was so big. Says Hendrickson, how emphatically the obstinacy and perversity of sinful human nature is here revealed. It reminds one, says Hendrickson, of the mother who knew that the only way she could get Johnny to run an errand was to say to him, don't you dare go to the store to get me five pounds of sugar. There goes Johnny. Boys, said Hendrickson, pass an apple orchard a hundred times without attempting to pick one from the tree's overhanging branches. But let a sign be put up. Those who steal apples will be persecuted and see if the pockets of these boys do not begin to bulge with apples. Did not Mark Twain, said Hendrickson, mention swimming pools which were forbidden us and therefore much frequented. However, these people, said Hendrickson, were who resolutely disobeyed Christ's command were no boys. For the most part, they must have been grown ups. For their defiant and persistent disobedience to his specific and repeated order, there was no excuse whatever. And this is what he says. Even their admiration for what Jesus had done was no atonement for their recalcitrant behavior. Which is simply Hendrickson saying this. Even though they had all the right words, he has done all things well. That makes up for no amount of disobedience. To his command. You see, they, they spoke the right words, but if they really loved Jesus, they would listen to Jesus. This is what the Bible tells us. This is what Jesus says. If you love me, right? If you love me, if you really believe that he has done all things well, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. You will walk in my ways. And those commandments, says John, are not burdensome, but they are the, the joy of the heart. That knows Jesus, loves Jesus, serves Jesus. This is important. To be astonished by Jesus, friends, is not to love Jesus. To be astonished even beyond measure at the words and works of Jesus is not yet to love Jesus. To love Jesus is to follow Jesus, to obey Jesus, to give our hearts and lives to Jesus. Our hearts and lives must match our words. Said Watson, love is the only thing in which we can retaliate with God. If God be angry with us, we must not be angry with Him. If He chide us or discipline us, we must not uh, chide Him again. But if God loves us, we must love Him again. There is nothing in which we can answer God again but love. We must not give Him word for word, but we must give Him love for love. He has done all things well in 2023. Outsiders are welcome in the kingdom of God. May we, like the Savior, seek them out in the new year because he has sought us out and brought us in uh, through the blood of Christ. Humble faith is never disappointed. He works when and how he wills in his perfect timing and purpose. Uh, it's for us to humbly seek his grace and mercy to find hope and help for every need, knowing that he will deal with us as a father deals with his children. And he has done all things well. May they, uh, may they not simply be words on our lips, uh, but the expression uh, of heartfelt love and joy in our great, gracious, and glorious God. Let me just end with this from J.C. Ryle. Let us remember it. Let us remember it as we look back over the days past of our lives. From the hour of our conversion, our Lord hath done all things well. 
In the first bringing us out of darkness into marvelous light, in humbling us and teaching us our weakness, guilt and folly, in stripping us of our idols and choosing all our portions and placing us where we are and giving us what we have, how well everything has been done. How great the mercy we have not had our own way. And let us remember, said Riley, as we look forward to the days yet to come. We know not what they may be, bright or dark, many or few, but we know that we are in the hands of him who doeth all things well. He will not err in any of his dealings with us. He will take away and give. He will afflict and bereave. He will move and he will settle with perfect wisdom at the right time in the right way. The great shepherd of the sheep makes no mistakes. He leads every lamb of his flock by the right way to the city of habitation. We shall never, said Ryle, see the full beauty of these words till the resurrection morning. We shall then look back over our lives and know the meaning of everything that happened from first to last. We shall remember all the way by which we were led and confess that all was well done. The why and the wherefore, the causes and the reasons of everything which now perplexes, will be clear and plain as the sun at noonday. We shall wonder at our own past blindness and marvel that we could have ever doubted our Lord's love. Now we see through a glass darkly, but then face to face. Now we know in part, but then shall we know, even as we are known. He has done all things well, and so uh, it is well with our soul. Let's pray uh, together. Heavenly Father, we pray that these words uh, from the Gospel of Mark uh, would not only be on our lips, but Lord, they would express uh, our heartfelt conviction of Jesus, your glory, your goodness, your majesty, your grace to us that you brought us in for out, of, uh, out of our sin, out of the darkness, into your kingdom, into the marvelous light of the Lord Jesus. We thank you that we have been washed in the blood, that through his blood we have been uh, brought near into the family of God. And dear Lord, we pray that you would help us to always come before you with a humble faith, uh, knowing that we are utterly dependent on your mercy, not only for the year that's passed, but for the year to come. And Lord, that our confession uh, is looking back this past year, looking ahead to the new, would be that you have done all things well. And we can trust in you and your goodness and grace to us, even though we do not yet see all the reasons uh, for why things are the way they are. We know, Lord, that we can trust in our good and gracious and glorious God. And we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen.